Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and websites, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. What word would you use to describe your home? Think about it for a minute. Your home is a blank canvas. It can be anything you want. All too often we live by default and stop seeing our spaces, but they can be places that inspire us to live our best life. And this has nothing to do with renovating. In fact, many of these changes require next to no money. Instead, you need to think differently and act differently. If you're interested to know more and want to get a free guide to help you see your home in a whole new way, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash insider secrets to get your home reimagined. Seven insider secrets to make it happen. That's nataliewalton.com forward slash insider secrets. Welcome to Imprint. I'm thrilled to share today's interview with Abigail Ahern, who is one of the world's leading interior designers and has for the past 20 years run her namesake retail homeware shop in London, which continues to go from strength to strength. She is also an author of four books with another title to be released later this year. Abigail is one of my favorite creatives because she is unapologetically herself, which is so refreshing, especially in a time when it sometimes feels like people and places are becoming more and more the same. 
And while Abigail is incredibly passionate and confident with what she creates, she's also a champion of encouraging others to create homes that feel good. I'm sure you're going to love this conversation as much as I did because Abigail shares freely of the challenges that she's faced over the years and really gets to the heart of what it is to create captivating interiors. But before we start the interview, I just want to take a quick minute to ask you to leave a quick review or rating if you enjoy this interview, which I'm sure you will because, as I said, Abigail is so inspiring to listen to and she shares so honestly and openly about everything to do with business and interiors and everything in between. So let's get on to my conversation with Abigail Ahern. Abigail, I am so excited to talk to you. We had a chat, or I think I interviewed you a long, long time ago when I was working at Real Living Magazine, but the world has changed a lot since then and your journey has continued to evolve. But I'm really curious to kind of go back to the beginning and learn a little bit about you when you were younger and um, really interested in the threads of your journey and how they've kind of woven their way through, you know, your life and your career to the point where you're at now. So can you shine a little bit of a light on your upbringing? I'm always fascinated, you know, the story and people's childhoods and how it informs who they are and the decisions they've made to sort of go on in school and then post-school. So can you just shine a bit of a light on your journey to that point? Totally. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. I love your podcasts. Um, how did it all begin? I don't like I remember, I don't remember this, but I remember my sister saying when I was seven, she's three years younger than me, she made us save our pocket money to rip up the carpet because we were sharing a room and because I wanted to paint the floors and I have no recollection, but she thought I was really mean and she went along with it and we did it and we took the carpet up because it was pink and uh, my mother let us paint the floor. So I don't even know where that came from. I come from a fairly creative background. My, my, my mother used to paint. She doesn't anymore. She was an artist, quite traditional artist, watercolors and oils. And my aunt um, is very theatrical and, and never went into interior design, but should because she had quite amazing properties. So I guess it kind of stemmed from there, but I didn't really have I didn't really think about interiors. So I finished um, A-levels and then I was taking a gap year and I was gonna travel around the world was my intention. And then I saw um, this job in the Guardian for a picture researcher. And I just thought, oh, I wonder what that's like. I'm just gonna like apply for it. And uh, this is for, for Terence Conran's publishing company. And it was winter and it was in Covent Garden in Shelton Street. And I wore this massive faux coat and I got stuck in the revolving doors uh, as I was going to my interview and they couldn't get me out. Anyway, <laughs> eventually they managed to get me out. And my boss, my boss to be, who was my boss for seven years, is like, that coat's so amazing. I'm not even interviewing you. You've got the job. And I'm like, oh, wow. So like I didn't even do the interview, like she just loved my coat. So I started off picture researching for Terence Conran, I knew nothing about being on a picture desk, finding images, going to see photographer studios, pulling images for all his, his interior books. And I think that really honed my eye because I loved it. I mean, I was very junior. I was kind of under a whole load of people, but I kind of worked my way up to be kind of like a big picture researcher there and then would literally float all over Europe going into the days when we used to go to photographer studios and go through all their images and find them for Conran's books. So that I think, and specifically they put me on interiors. So that I think really subconsciously honed my eye. And then I met my husband and he had the opportunity to go live in America because he was working for Fords at the time. And so I thought this would be a good opportunity for me to maybe get into interior design because I love interiors. And so I interviewed at a load of, uh, we, this was in the Midwest. So originally we were in Detroit. So I interviewed at a load of architectural companies and interior design companies. And then this one company, I happened to take all these books that I'd found the pictures for, and they assumed I'd design them. But they, they didn't say that. They were just asking me weird questions like, what's the square footage of this room? And I was thinking, you Americans are so weird. I just found the pictures. I, so I was a little bit blasé. And then the next day they phoned me up to say, you know, 
your portfolio in those books so amazing. Like you can be our head interior designer. So I had this two second thing to go, oh my God, I've never interior designed anything in my life. I just found the pictures and I'm like, great. So then, I mean, I don't know how I did this. I was 26 years old, I think. So I rocked up. I remember I rocked up the first day and I, and we went into the boardroom. It was a very fancy architectural um, practice and they specialized in building all these glass houses over the Great Lakes. I mean, huge million dollar, like massive properties. And the clients came in and they're like, this is Abby. She's worked for Sir Terence Conran and she's done the most amazing properties throughout Europe. I mean, there's such a low, and I was literally, I had to run to the loo and throw up because I'm like, I, I'm so out of my league now. I don't even know what's going on. These people had the largest collection of Lalique glass in the world, wanted me to design all these glass shelves to reflect the glass, reflect the water. And I was just getting more and more out of my depth and said nothing other than shook and cried and threw up. And that was kind of like my first six months. I zipped my mouth. I just said nothing. I just made notes, researched it, and then blagged my way into being an interior designer, realized I needed the knowledge because, okay, I might have a good eye, but I had no knowledge. Then I studied at night. So I studied how to be one at night and pretended how to be one during the day. And that kind of carried on for about three years, so over three years. And obviously I became more and more confident. And I think that's why I kind of am quite confident because the thing that I loved about living in America, and I had two really amazing bosses, and I told them at the end, because I thought, oh my God, if you mention Terence Conran personal again, and all these properties, I'm actually going to throw up. And by that stage, we were so into it. And we would just like, we had such an amazing relationship and all the clients kind of got on with me. He's like, oh, don't worry, we're going with the story. So we just went with the story. But I think that's why I do things back to front. And they had such, you know, the Americans, a bit like, the Australians to a degree have such positivity and self-belief. We don't over here. We second guess and we always are, oh, maybe that's not going to work. Therefore, I won't do it. And I think that's what has made me more confident than I would normally be because I just saw what Doug and Mike did and how they got out of situations and all the kind of things that they did. And even they thought they were imposters and they trained at Yale. You know, they were just super, super talented guys. So, um, I did that for three years, flew all over the world, found rugs in LA, art from Chicago. I mean, it was just like a crazy, crazy life, but absolutely loved it. And that's how the whole interior design process happened for me. Then came back here. Then I thought, you know what, after having clients on speed dial calling me at 5 a.m. on a treadmill going, you know, can you check this rug sample? I'm quitting interior design, came back and went into styling where I didn't have the same kind of clients. Did that for a while, got a bit bored and then thought, you know what, I think I want to open a store because I'm seeing things in my head that I can't find for styling shoots. And so that sort of became, began the retail journey. Then with the store, lots of people then wanted me to interior design their homes, which I did probably for about another five or six years. But then I just literally lost it with clients. I just like, I didn't want another client in my life because the more, the, it sounds awful, but the richer the client, the more headache it is. And I just wasn't enjoying it and things were being just changed so much. So I quit interior design probably now about seven years ago. And so now it's all retail. That's amazing. And, and I will ask you about, cause I'm really curious to learn about sort of more about your business structure and, and all of that, because I think it's a fantastic that you have this kind of strong retail presence in a time where people are sort of, you know, shirking away from retail. But, um, but we'll touch on that um, in a moment. First, I sort of, I mean, like, as you say, like you've really developed this confidence over the years. And I think, you know, it's perhaps slightly innate in you from, you know, like obviously you say you've got this family that's theatrical and artistic and creative. Um, and you sounds like you're really thrown in at the deep end. But, you know, so many people really struggle to have that confidence to just try things. So can you maybe just kind of, I guess, shine a light a little bit on, you know, when you're in the deep end, and you're having to kind of get scrappy or resourceful or whatever, like what, what's some of the thought process that goes through your head? Can you just I don't know, illuminate I that for us yeah. a little bit. I also think actually confidence. I did not use, I, I, gosh, I wasn't confident for so many years of my life. It really, I think as you get older, you get more confident. And Doug used to say to me, who ran the uh, architectural practice called Macintosh Porus, you know, it's good 
when you're fearful because then you kind of know that you're doing things like you're changing things or you feel alive so i have imposter syndrome all the time and i fear fearful all the time but i just know from experience of this long journey i've been on that if i don't do something or if i'm scared of doing something and i put the brakes on it will eat me alive more than if i do it and it goes wrong because we have had catastrophic problems with our business However, everything that's gone wrong, I've learned from it. And then it's actually made the business better. So at the time, it's felt like, oh, my God, we're going under. Oh, my God, this client who's put hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, pounds into our business is just that walked away. And, and it's going to, you know, we were not going to survive it. You just kind of get really resourceful and dig deep. And I think for me, I'm so passionate and obsessed with interiors. It's kind of in my DNA. It's not just like a job. It's like, you know, you are not ruining my life. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get myself out of this hole. And you just become inventive. Like you just have to, particularly when you're employing people, a lot of people, there's factories working for you. There's a lot of people dependent upon you. It's not even an option to walk away. Like you just have to dig deep and think of things to get out of the problem. And, and having been through some really tumultuous problems, as awful as they are, they're never as bad when you go to the factories and go, listen, this client has spent hundreds of thousands with us and now they've gone bankrupt and I can't pay you, but I'm not going to leave you in the dirt. Like, can we just get the containers once every six months rather than once every few, you know, like there's ways that you can kind of get round problems. Half of it is talking, I think, and not bottling it up and just trying to be as resourceful as you possibly can. So that's kind of how it's worked for us. And every problem has made us better in business, every problem, even though it didn't seem yeah. at the time. Yeah, no, that's very reassuring to hear in a way, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause it's, um, I mean, you know, this, the, the whole thing, isn't it with, with Instagram and all, you know, all of that stuff is that, you know, we all just see the the success stories and not necessarily, you know, the sort of the real life challenges and, and all of that kind of thing. And, um, and I mean, that's what I love about this podcast is, you know, the opportunity to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and, you know, hear the real stories of, of journeys and what people have gone through and the challenges. What is it about interiors that do you love? Like why, why interiors, you know, what do you love about them? For me, I think it's, it, gosh, it's so much in my DNA, but it, it changes how you feel in a space. Like it changes your perception. It makes you happy. It makes you sad. So many people won't invite me to dinner because they'll be like, you'll be out of there in two minutes. And I literally will. I'll be like, I can't be. I mean, that's being extreme, but it just changes, you know, you walk into a beautiful hotel or restaurant and how you feel, it just completely changes how you feel. It's not about fluffing cushions or lighting a candle. It really is. It's almost more spiritual than that because it changes and everybody responds differently to rooms and styles or et cetera, et cetera. But it just changes how you feel. Like if I'm in a lovely space, it makes me feel happier. It makes me feel more positive. It makes me want to achieve more as opposed to if I'm in a room really depressing place. I want to do nothing, just drink whiskey, sit in the corner and, you know, sob. So it really affects my, it really affects how I feel. It really affects how I feel, which is why I think I'm so obsessed with it. And the smallest changes can, you know, can do that. It's not about having tons of money and hanging chandeliers from ceilings. Painting a wall in a beautiful earthy tone can make you feel happy, more grounded, more restorative, or, you know, adding a few accessories that feel like they're organic and have a real story and narrative to them. So it's, it just changes how you feel, I think, on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I mean, I'm, I'm so affected by my surrounds. So yeah, yeah there's, there's, without a doubt, I completely get what you're saying. And what about like your, I mean, your style is so recognizable. Well, so it, certainly it is to me. And I guess for one of a better word or a phrase, you know, like you're kind of known for a particular look, you know, like you, you kind of really own your style. How has that evolved over the years? And, you know, can you describe it to others who might be not familiar with it? And, you know, yeah, yeah. what's it, your style journey? It's kind of funny that you say that because I, it's really hard for me to see that I have a look because it doesn't feel like a look to me. So I guess I'm known for creating quite inky dark interiors. Uh, and this was when no one was doing it over here. 
And I had never intended to go inky or dark. I just happened to paint an alcove in my house, which is the same house I live in now, in a dark hue and just saw how pieces reacted against it and loved it. Then I transitioned that to the store. That then got a lot of media attention because stores were generally bright and white and mine was quite inky. Uh, then I painted, oh no, that's what happened. See, my, my whole life is full of just things going really wrong. So I'd painted an alcove. And then I'd painted the store, which got a lot of attention. Then this really good looking Italian photographer came into my store and said, oh, I love your store in this inky color. And El Deckard shot my house when it was white. And he said, is your house like this? And I'm like, of course it is, because I was kind of being a bit flirty. And it wasn't just one alcove was. And I didn't really know him or his pedigree or anything. He said, amazing, I'm going to bring a team over from El Deco Italy, which is kind of like the coolest interiors home magazine there is. And we're going to shoot it in three weeks. I'm like, amazing, see you in three. Came home and said to my husband, we've got three weeks to paint this four story house. <laughs> completely dark because this amazing photographer is coming over and it's going to help the business and we're going to do it. Graham was working in the city. He literally, I don't know how he didn't divorce me. He literally didn't speak to me. We painted every single night. I painted during the days. By the time, and all I could do was one colour because I had no time to experiment. So I'd painted the alcove in Farrenball downpipe. So the whole house, everything was Farrenball downpipe, floors, everything. By the time they came over the team, they wanted to do lots of pictures of Graham and I. Graham couldn't even be near me. He was knackered. He was exhausted. He was working in the city. He hated that I'd lied like this. And he was like, <laughs> he was just like beyond. So he was crossing his arms and we were, he was trying to put us together to look sweet, sit on the sofa with, I mean, it was just the work. He was so rude, not rude, but just so grumpy. Anyway, it made the cover and then it went around the world and then because he's a really cool photographer, he's called Mads Morganson, and it went around the world and other magazines bought it. And then it really massively helped the business. But then I kept getting all these questions like, why have you painted your house? What's the theory of painting your house top to toe in one color? And I wanted to go, because I had three weeks and I had no choice and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so, I mean, that was the story of that. And then Farron Ball contacted me to say that we'd changed the paint sales of Downpipe. It was like their best selling paint ever. And I'm like, God damn it, I need to do a paint range. So then we, that, so that then morphed into our own paint range. Um, but yeah, so I suppose at a time when everyone was quite pale, we went quite dark. Now I've kind of transitioned out of that a bit. Like we're a lot kind of softer, earthier. And COVID really kind of brought that transition on because I was at home a lot more, whereas normally I wasn't. And I just felt when I was in a more of a cocooning, kind of a mid-tone, it just made me feel so much more grounded and restored. So we then introduced a whole load of grounding and restorative paint color, you know, like cocooning earthy colors. So I guess, you know, the thing for me, and I get asked this quite a lot, oh, wow, you know, you're like the queen of dark and now you're changing. And I'm like, you know, you can't ever, the whole point of life is to change. Like I'm not, I'm never gonna go, okay, bright white, but if I'm going earthy, I don't see that as a negative. I think I need to constantly embrace change. And spending so long in my house, I just really responded to quite earthy colors. So that's kind of the next kind of transition. For an April Fools, we oh, once yeah. did that, that I'd changed the whole house white and put the old house white <laughs> pictures in. And then customer service got bombarded. And they're like, Abby, can you just tell people before 12 o'clock that this is a complete lie? So I was like, it's a lie. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, what about, because um, I know that you kind of, you do like to champion though, like people embracing sort of, you know, warmer tones yeah. and so these sort of earthy hues. I mean, I do think, you know, it really suits that kind of London is sort of like low gray skies, you know, Northern European lights, but in Australia, you know, where the light's so strong, it, I mean, of course, in some spaces it can work. Do you, sort of think that it can work in all environments or, you know, that people should really respond to, you know, their location and the light of the home and, you know, yeah. You know, I, I think it's an interesting that. point because I think location is key. And I think, you know, your light is a lot stronger than our light. And you're right in Northern Europe, you have this incredibly soft buttery light, which is more gray than sunny. And therefore it works with these hues. But also if you go to South Africa or if you go to Greece or Ibiza where Uku hotels have done 
you know, just incredible hotels. They've gone quite earthy and grounding. So I definitely think you can. But at the same time, I think you really need to pay attention to the light levels that come through the house. Because for me in Australia, I would go rather than really deep dark, a lot kind of softer, earthier, which would just look really beautiful with all your greenery and your quite high contrasting light, e.g. Also conversely for us, white over here, when you get gray skies and white, it's really bad. It's not a nice, it's just not a nice combination. It just makes you feel like you're in the hospital ward. I mean, that's me personally. But um, I think, yeah, you absolutely have to think about light levels and the strength of your light. But I don't think that you have to think because you're in a hot country or in a cold country, you should have white or cool tones. I think that you can totally mix them. It's just working out what to do. Yeah. And so what about your process? Can you sort of share a little bit of an insight when, you know, when you have worked for clients or, you know, even maybe with your own home, like what is your process? What's usually like your starting point when you, you begin on an interior I begin project? on an interior by, I, rather than kind of a theme, I wanted, I always kind of nail, how do I want to feel in a room? It's always got to, for me, come down to feelings. So do I want to feel cocooned or do I want to feel energized or do I want to feel restored? So I kind of take a signature feeling and then really play into layering that up and building that up before I start on wall colors and floor colors and any kind of furnishings or accessories. It's what, how do I want to feel in that particular space? And then I'll start layering up from that. So for example, in my living room, I want to feel I want to feel grounded. I want to feel intrigued. I want to feel restored and calmed and all the, all of those sorts of things. So I'll take a palette that's really calming. And then I, it's kind of a thing I do. I tend to remain with a really restricted palette. So I will kind of mix and go up and down the kind of tonation levels, three or four colors, but I won't introduce lots of different colors because that feels really chaotic to me. So I keep quite a restricted palette and then I'll really play up the materiality. And I don't have one style. I mix a ton of different styles and a ton of different reference points, but because I've restricted the palette, I don't have to worry about mixing but it always comes down always to a feeling. How do I want to feel in that space? Not a theme, not a style. And what about you mentioned that you sort of, you were working as a stylist um, before you opened your shop. Um, I'm curious about, you know, how you approach styling spaces and sort of adding those layers, you know, sort of creating the beauty you know, the sort of more finishing touches to a space. What What's your approach with that? You know what? That was one of the hard... Styling is one of the hardest jobs because you have 10 hours to get into a space that is completely blank and then to layer it up to make it look fabulous. So finishing touches and shoot it and finishing touches are really key. So for me, you know, in order to make a space sing, I really had to play up texture and pattern, not tons of crazy pattern, just really subtle pattern. But texture, I think, is one of the most under considered components. And you take the spec from the magazine or the PR company or the advertising agent, whatever you were working on. And to make it feel super beautiful, two key components for me, always layers, because the more layers in the space, so i.e. the more things in a room, the more intrigue, unless of course the brief was to be really minimal, but mine generally weren't. And then texture, which is just like adding seasoning to a to a recipe. It adds, you know, that Seasoning just takes a space or a dish to another level. So texture and layers and soft furnishings really change rooms around. What about the difference between layers and clutter? There's I'm a really fine line. Take. Yeah, there's. A, I mean, clutter is a word I absolutely hate. And I think the, one of the reasons I wrote the maximalism book was because people think maximalism clutter. And that's Yes, there are some maximum spaces that are super cluttered, but there is a whole new way of designing a space that feels intriguing. So for me, if I can walk into a room and read it in a second, it reads as flat and boring. My eye isn't intrigued. I'm done. I'm out. I'm gone. If I walk into a room that has multiple layers and my eye doesn't know whether to look right or left or up or down, subconsciously, I feel very engaged. So the less things in a room, 
the more disengaged I am or not, you know, I'm just not really into the room. The more layers in a room, the more intrigued I am. And you can go too far, obviously, but a lot of it is kind of self subconscious and how you feel. But when you restrict the palette, you can actually layer in more things than if you don't. So if you have, if your rule for me, three or four colors up or down the saturation level, obviously not just one color. If I stick to that restricted palette, I can put more things in a room. And when I used to run design masterclasses here, and one of the reasons I love having a store is because people come in and I see their faces and they don't know where to look because, you know, it's kind of how anthropology designs, designs all their stores. You're pulling the eye here. You're pulling the eye there, the eyes up, there's eyes down. If there's like three or four things in a room, wham, bam, you're just done. There's nothing to intrigue you or make you stay. Yeah, I'm curious because um, you've sort of you mentioned um, Graham. What what's his take on interiors and and like does he you know want to have a say no. or is he like no, nope, it's all you. <laughs> he might want to have a say, but he hasn't had a say. <laughs> uh, Graham is colorblind. Right. which is very bizarre. Uh, Graham is like so he is my husband and uh, he left his job in the city. And he's been with the business for the last 10 years and he's on the more of the operation side of it. Um, but he, I'm really lucky because so many questions that I get from like customers and when I used to do design masterclasses were about what about my partner and convincing him, her X, Y, Z. I'm really lucky with Graham in that he's so laid back to horizontal, apart from the Italian thing where I lied and we had three weeks to do the whole house. He's pretty much laid back and he doesn't really, if this house was, bright yellow he wouldn't care if it was bright white or black he would he he just he's not sensitive to interiors at all which makes him which i irritate him so much about that because we'll go to supper and i'll be like i can't be in this restaurant look at look at the decoration let's go and like he's like oh my god can we just not sit here and just like have a glass of wine or just eat this pasta i'm like no it's too bad i'm having a migraine and so he like i am so sensitive it makes him mad because he is so desensitized he could literally you know i come home sometimes from the store in the winter there's one light on i mean there should never be one light on he's at his desk doors are slung like there's no there's nothing there's no scent there's no music there's one light on doors are slung open it's like we are so yin and yang and it probably drives us both mad about the other one <laughs> but i'm lucky that he doesn't have an opinion because then i don't have any arguments <laughs> and um, look, you, I mean, you've kind of shared some of them, but I'm curious, what about what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned when it comes to creating interiors over the years? Are there any other ones that you I mean, obviously so much of, you know, things come in fashion, for want of a better word, and, you know, in and out. And, you know, what, what are how, how do you approach all of that as well and sort of you know, creating interiors that sort of stand the test of time in a way. I think I kind of, and not in my early days when I didn't have so much confidence or belief, I guess, but now I, I, I really don't listen or read or pay any attention to trends. Like I'm not bothered what's in, what's out. It doesn't bother me. Interiors to me shouldn't be like fashion it shouldn't be this is hot this season this is hot next season because i want to surround myself with pieces that i'm going to constantly collect and have in my home for years to come i don't want things to be hot one year and not the next year so when you you know accessorize uh, with accessories that are made out of natural materials, for example, they're always going to be timeless and when you're not following trends or dictated by trends by all means, embrace trends if you like the trend, but never buy something because it's on trend, which I, I kind of really ignore. And when it comes to kind of designing products to see whether they're marketable or not, I'm my own buyer and filter. So I have to, and this is where I went wrong in the beginning of having a, a store when I wasn't designing products, I was buying from third party. I tried to kind of have a bit of everything and we were very unsuccessful, probably for about nine months. And it wasn't until I actually, it kind of registered, you know, I don't even want that in my house. Why am I, why is that on the shelf? And I actually thought, you know what, I'm going to be my own customer now. So whatever is on that website, on that, in the store, I want to have it in my house or that's how I've kind of set out what we do. And that's stood me in pretty good stead. So I never think about what anyone else is doing in the business, whether anything's on trend or not. And I literally 
figure it out from the heart. Will I have it in this house? If it's yes, it goes in. If it's no, it goes out. And that's kind of it. I mean, there's no kind of theory to it. Unfortunately, it drives the bean counters in the business mad because they're like, well, do you really think this is going to be commercial? I'm like, I really don't care. They're like, love it. So there's a lot of yin and yang. And obviously, you know, I'm being flippant. It has to be commercial because, you know, we have to make money. But I think I've got more confident as I've got older because I've, if I'm the buyer and I'm designing for me or buying for me, it's really, really worked. I mean, it touch something wooden it's really really worked whereas if I'm thinking about are you gonna like it is he gonna like it you know it just dilutes me so I almost have to get every every all of those thoughts out of my head if that makes sense Mm. yeah well that kind of leads nicely into I did want to ask you about your business and you know as you say you sort of you started at the shop you know because you were trying to source things and it's really evolved. I mean, how long have you had that shop now? 2002, we moved into a tiny little store in Islington where we were for about a year. That was the first mistake I made in business because it was a tiny little rent. It was owned by this puppet theater, which was just behind us. And it you, you like three people were in it. It was that tiny. And um, I wish I'd had more confidence to be on a main street because you can be a destination if the destination has got, you know, a cafe, a restaurant, it's big. You can't be a destination. Like everybody is quite lazy. I'm not crossing, I'm not going to Notting Hill to see a tiny little shop that you can't even move in, like particularly now with online. So you have, like, I wish I had had more confidence to open a slightly bigger space. So we were there for about a year. And then I realized the few people that came in and we really didn't have that many people that would come in, bought and loved it. And that kind of gave me the confidence to go, okay, after a year, we're out of here. We're moving to a bigger space, albeit in the same kind of area. So we did. And that really helped and then from there we've transitioned to an even bigger space and then we opened a concession in Shanghai and and heels and la 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 so it's kind of you know the retail side now excites me a lot more than I ever thought it would because I'm not business trained and I've really had to savvy up and kind of train myself up because when you're a creative all the numbers and the excel spreadsheets and all that boring data and analysis that you have to do I found so daunting, but now it's so nerdy because it quite excites me, which Graham loves because Graham is really nerdy. So our evenings together, if anyone was a fly on the wall, they'd be like, oh my God, this couple, what are they talking about? Nine o'clock at night about the NPX on a product and the margin and the container. I mean, it's so nerdily boring, but I'm actually quite into it, which is terrible. (laughs) No, I I completely understand. So what about, I mean, obviously, I think, you know, you do so many things, you know, you've created your own books, Um, you have, you know, got your courses, you've got, um, obviously, your shop. Do you have, I mean, you've spoken about your husband being involved in the business, but, you know, do you have a team that is helping you? Like, how do you get all the things done? Yeah, I'm really lucky. We have an amazing team, actually, which is getting bigger and bigger. So we've just... Because we're designing more products ourselves, we've just um, enlisted a team in India, which is great um, to help with the QCing and all the managing of the factory. So I don't have to go back and forth so much. But yeah, I have quite a big team over here. So we have um, a buying team, an operations team, a marketing and social team, demand planning, accountancy. So it has morphed into something that is a lot bigger. But I think what changed the business for us was when we started wholesaling. And so then stores around the world could buy into, and that really changed everything because it meant, you know, when you're quite a small fish, which we were for so long, you can't afford to go to Asia to put things into production because you haven't got the sell through. And as soon as we started doing trade shows and launching our wholesale arm, it's really helped because it now means that I don't have to worry if I get containers in how I'm going to sell it because I've got a retail arm and a wholesale arm. And it means that, you know, there's so many things in my mind that I want to put into production and now I can actually do it. So it's really, you know, like COVID really helped that because there was such a massive interest in home. So there's a lot more that we're putting into production than ever before, which is amazing because then we're also selling it to people around the world, which is also amazing. Logistical, complicationly cash flow nightmare that you always have with any business, but we're in a really strong point, which I'm quite excited about. 
So if someone was sort of wanting to start, a, you know, a homewares business, a shop, what, what would you say to them? What advice would you give to them in relation to that? I think, first of all, you have to find your niche. So there's no point taking on the big fish and think you could be an Ikea or a John Lewis. So find your kind of niche of where you sit. And something that I really underestimated, and I wish I hadn't underestimated it for quite so long, was the power of marketing. Like we used to do all the marketing. I mean, it was super organic. It wasn't even really, you couldn't even really call it marketing ourselves. But now we have a marketing team because the biggest thing is you've started a brand or you're about to start a brand and nobody knows about you. So when I first opened the store, I said to my sister, who's also involved in the biz and my business partner, the first day we opened, I said, I reckon there's going to be so many queues for the store opening. And then we turned up and there was not one person. And I'm like, what's going on? Like I really imagined queues, like I'd have to push people away at the door because they'd be so inspired to buy all the stuff. Nobody ever turned up for like nine months at that store. Nobody knew us. So it's so hard. I mean, then there wasn't social media, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't, you know, Pinterest and Facebook. So to that degree, it's a little bit easier. But the big thing is you've got to find your DNA. You can't just go, I like what she does. I'm just going to translate it. And you, you've got to kind of find your vibe. And then you can't underestimate the power of marketing because unless people know you, you won't get enough sales. And the biggest thing, the reason that so many people go out of business is because cash flow. It's all about cash flow and how long you can survive. So marketing and finding your own DNA is really key. That's, yeah, a really important point about the DNA because and I think that's actually something that you do really well and perhaps what I was trying to get at when I said that you know you've kind of got your own look like you really own your own style and I think that you know I from when I sort of go to different homes and travel into different spaces and you can really tell the homes that are like a genuine reflection of the person and the things that they love and I think that really comes across with what you do how do you think that other people can really tap into their own DNA? Because I think that people, you know, particularly at this point in the world, you know, when like we're bombarded with images and inspiration and there's just so much visual noise to actually kind of really tap into, you know, your own personal style, your own DNA when it comes to, yeah, what you love and like. I think if you are confused about what your style is or what your DNA is, start from scratch. Like in the old days, before Pinterest, when I used to tear up magazines and create mood boards, just literally pull any image that inspires you. So Pinterest is a great resource. Magazines are a great resource. And just lay them all out, whether it's on your computer or on the floor, and then write down the threads that you're really loving. And that will help you form your style. You really love this look because it's pale and earthy, or you really love this look because it's scandy, or you really like this vibe. So if you're in a conundrum and you don't know what your style is, don't get het up about what's my style, just pull and pull and pull and then take little pieces from your notes out of all of that because you can mix as many different styles as you want remember when you restrict your palette and then start building your own dna because we're all influenced by other people no one has an original concept we're all influenced and we shouldn't be embarrassed about that it's just finding your own spin and take on it so literally find hotels, restaurants, bars, magazines, Pinterest, and just pull a ton of images and write down the things in there that you love and start building up your own style. And that's the easiest way to do it and take all the pressure off that there's too much out there. I don't know what my style is, because I think intuitively, then you start building upon that. And you actually, you've probably found it too. Like you become more confident when you see that something works like your style or my style, then you just build on it and you play it on it more and you become more confident and you take it to new levels. But don't get fixed about what's my style. I've got no idea. Literally pull references and write and make notes. Yeah. Um, and this, again, I feel like it shows up in your Instagram. Like I feel that you're so authentic to who you are on your Instagram. You know, you're not trying to be anyone else. You're, you're doing it your own way. And I think there was definitely like a, a shift at one point where you started to embrace video more. Can you sort of share a little bit about, you know, how you choose to show up on Instagram and and how it's maybe even helped your business? Yeah, I mean, Instagram was quite organic 
for us. So there was never, I mean, it isn't now. <laughs> it's so not now. There's a whole calendar. It's run like a magazine. Uh, apart from the fact that I'm quite laid back and I'm, I forget to follow what I'm supposed to follow. And I just jump in the camera and go, it's Garden Club today. And then marketing will go, but it's not Thursday, it's Monday. I'm like, oh, I've already published it. Never mind. Um, so yeah, now it's really structured. In the olden days before I had a proper team, it was just me in front of a camera, I guess just talking about things that the reason that I think I love interiors is because the smallest tweaks can change your perception of how you feel in a room. And if I can give people the confidence to do that themselves, not follow my style or be dark or any of that, just the confidence to give it a go and get off the fence then I feel really excited and happy about that. So that's, so it started really organically of me just talking about things. And I don't think in, I, you know, like I don't think interior designers do it. And I think interior design, one of my pet peeves about interior designs, it's snooty. Nobody wants to tell anyone sources or where this is from or how to do this. And I kind of want to demystify that whole thing because of course there's a place for interior design but a lot of people can't afford interior designers or even want interior designers and don't have the tools to create really magical spaces so my thing was like i'm just going to give as many tips and tricks as i can to inspire people to have a home that they never want to leave because that's how i feel here and that's how it became and that's how it kind of and it really helped the business I mean, massively, we were selling more, people were visiting the website more, sessions more. And then of course that then translated into having a marketing team and now there's calendars and everything. And you know, I'm going to India next week and I've got this whole social thing that I'm gonna follow and I can tell I'm gonna be jet lagged and tired. I'm gonna be doing the wrong thing on the wrong day. I'm not posting this. And we've got all these launches happening that I'm supposed to remember that I won't and I'll probably screw it up and get angry phone calls, but you know what? I love my team and without them, that was another key thing in business because when we were in the early days, we didn't have the money and I tried to do everything. And someone, I think, I can't remember who it was, someone really well known in business said to me, you know, as awful as it sounds, you've got to hire really well and pay really well and get people who are experts in the field. And that's really changed our business. I wasn't an expert in marketing. We now have an incredible marketing team or logistics now, great logistics team. So we've had to kind of invest in that and that's really paid off and helped, but it was really super organic in the early days. Were you able to let go easily? You know, no. often people who, <laughs> oh, good, good, that's not just me. <laughs> uh, definitely, uh, no. <laughs> Because particularly I think... when it's been your baby, you know, when it's been like your baby that you've sort of been growing and you know, you have been involved with every single part of it. Yeah. Every, I mean, I yeah. still so am, even to the point where we were shooting yesterday. And so the shots came in this morning and then we do a homepage change every single month. And even to like, that's all got to be laid out before I go, I've got to sign it off. So no, I'm so over the creative, I guess, because I'm so, I guess because it's got my name on it and I am super detailed and super fussy, which I understand can be my down point. Um, and I'm very bad at letting go because it's just like a bit like when you've been a stylist and you're so into interiors, if other people, like I, if other people try and do it for you, it's never quite as good as if you could do it yourself. Um, so letting go has been quite hard, but then I am on the creative direction, over the creative direction on all the shoots, and you know social has been amazing having a team because i think for me i'm just not i'm not technical at all which drives the team mad and they just bring so much more to the table than i would have ever realized so from that perspective it's amazing to have them i just need to be i'm so not structured because i'm quite creative so i do a thousand things like before speaking to you today in six hours because we get to our desk at five i've done a thousand things the team get all these emails at crazy hours of the morning but then i can pivot really easily and lots of people that have come into the business and it hasn't and that hasn't worked out with employing them have come from big companies and they're not used to pivoting and doing so many things in a day so that's been a hard thing, like employing the right people, because we're small, but we're nimble and we can change. Like the other day I said, I think we need to change the whole font, the whole website, everything. We're just gonna change everything. I'm, and marketing like, this is just not a two minute job. I'm like, no, no, it's okay, I'll get it done. Like I'll give you the concept in like three days. And so it's like, 
I guess I suppose because I've always had to shuffle and hustle and I'm used to working long hours and doing everything myself, we do do things super quickly, which a lot of people in the earlier days who came from big companies couldn't take, couldn't take my today. Oh, we're changing the whole website. I'm changing the name. Like maybe obviously we're not changing the name, but I'm changing the font. I'm changing everything on it. We're shooting in a completely different and there's, it drives people mad, but it's just kind of how I am, I guess. Do you, do you switch off? Do you like have downtime and I think yeah, I, I mean, for me, I think that's the biggest problem because the life work balance is bad, but then it doesn't necessarily feel like I'm working half the time. If that makes sense, Gemma, my sister calls me on a Saturday and says, do not work do not every Saturday, do not work, do not send an email to anyone, go and walk in the woods with your dogs, or just go and do something. Because it's really hard to switch off. So I need to do it more. But I don't do it enough. And I recognize that I don't do it enough. But it's a real key thing, I think. And also, you know, for us, like, we are a small team, and there's always a lot going on. But I all when I do take time out on the weekend, I always feel happier on a Monday, not happier, but just I feel that I can achieve more on a Monday than if I've come off the back of working on the weekend. But then Graham just talks to the business all the time and never switches off like he is, his father is 93. And he's still working as an accountant. And he still talks about accounts when we go around to supper. So I've got no hope with Graham because in the evening, I don't really like, you know, by about 10 o'clock or we go to bed at 10 o'clock, Graham like, oh, what about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm in bed. I cannot be talking about blah, blah, blah. Graham will never switch off. Even like five o'clock in the morning, we begin talking. 10 o'clock, we stop talking and he'll never switch off. So it's really hard for me as much as Jem goes, don't work. I'm like, but I've got Graham and he doesn't switch off and he keeps talking to me about all these issues. So that's my down point. There's not enough life work balance. I'm working on it. Do you go on holidays? Yes and no. Because I have pre-COVID was um, because we were starting producing a lot ourselves. I was back and forth to Asia all the time with Jen. So I really neglected taking holidays. And then obviously COVID happened, didn't. And then this year, yes. I mean, went to the south of France, which was amazing. Graham hasn't had a proper holiday with me for ages, uh, which was amazing. And uh, Devon, which is just beautiful. And then we're whizzing back to Devon in a few weeks time with my parents. So yes, holidays are now, they didn't before, but I'm really going to push holidays. And Europe is so accessible to us and we shoved the dogs in the back of the car and all trundled off to the south of France. And it was just beautiful. So, and also I came back really inspired. So yes, holidays are something that I've neglected because I was traveling so much. But now I think we have this Indian office. I can stop all the QCing side of things. So it'll make everyone's life a bit easier. Yeah, because I know for myself, like, I mean, obviously Australia is so far away from the rest of the world, but I just get so much inspiration from travel, you know, in so many different levels. It can be tiny little things yeah. like a PowerPoint, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, a, you know, a, yeah, electrical socket or something, yeah. you know, I'm no, like, oh, yeah. look at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I was just curious because, you know, yeah, where you get your inspiration in that sense, if you're... Travel is huge, kind like of you, travel yeah. is huge. It might be, I don't know, one of the, I can't remember where we were. I think we're in Hong Kong after a downpour and I was just looking at the pavement and it was such a lovely murky color of puddle. I took a picture and like, that was a paint color. I mean, that was ridiculous. It was like, oh, that's an amazing puddle. Let's take that, it's gonna be a paint. So you're right, it's just, you don't even think of it, do you? It just kind of infiltrates you or it just, yeah, no, travel is really super, super, super important. Super important. I mean, when I came back from Australia, I can't remember how many years ago it was there, a few years ago, I said to Graham, we are moving to Australia because I'm obsessed with your country. The food, the people, the scenery. I was Googling houses. Gemma's like, how are we going to run a business from Australia? Anyway, so it's my dream to actually move to Australia. So I love it wow. so much. I love it. Wow. That'd be, yeah, I'd be as just thinking as you were speaking, I thought, yeah, I wonder like where you, would you always just live in London? And I mean, obviously I know you've lived in the US for a couple of years, but, and, and if not, then where would it be? And yeah, I'd be curious to see what type of house it would be. And 
oh my yeah, god all those you know things. it's funny because i think when you've lived in another country so we lived in america for just under four years it kind of gives you a bit itchy feet because it's so exciting when you live in another country that you don't come from so i loved our time in america I love Australia. Like I've already designed my house. I've shown Graham. So I don't, because I'm in an 1860s four-story house. I do not want any more stairs, probably because I'm ancient. I want lateral living. Like I want real lateral living and it's earthy. Yeah, no, it's all designed. Honestly, Natalie, the whole thing is designed. I'm going in the forest. <laughs> I, I, you know, like I don't care. It's Australia forest, as long as there's no coffee shop, which it will be. I've got the dogs, which is a bit of a problem because I don't know how I'm going to get them on a plane, but whatever. Um, that's kind of, yeah, and no, I've planned it all out. It's all sorted. Have you ever been, um, you know, interested in designing like a hotel or I could just really see you doing something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, when I used to interior design, um, we had a mixture of residential and commercial. So commercial properties, I actually really loved working on because there's a budget and there's a time and you can't run over. So I did a bit of work on the Ritz Carlton, which is very un me, uh, kind of un my style. But I had a client who owned it and um, I came in to do all kind of all the accessorizing. And I love doing I love hotels, hotels, restaurants, spas, because, you know, you're working to quite a strict brief. But I felt I've always learned so much from my commercial clients. And also you've got a time frame that you really have to stick to. So with residential, it can sort of morph on and on and on and on and things can change. But with commercial, no, you're so, yeah, it, it, it would be interesting. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I've got some, uh, well, I kind of call them rapid fire style questions. So we'll sort of go through those. I mean, you, um, you did this years ago when I had my blog daily imprint. So I'm kind of curious to see what your answers are now and, and how they might've changed, but which five words best describe you? Oh my goodness. I would say I am passionate. I'm outgoing. I'm driven uh i am caring and i would say i'm also quite anxious which is a weird one hmm. interesting what's the best life or career lesson you've learned the best life lesson oh totally to listen to my intuition and not other people even though they're hugely educated and think they know more than me and every time i've done it it's really failed. So listening, you know, this internal feeling that you get listening to my intuition is so key. What's your proudest career achievement? Having a store and still having a store like the bricks and mortar aspect of it and seeing how people come into that store and how they look and how they respond to it always gives me a buzz. Yeah. What's been your best decision? My best decision decision oh what would that be i would say opening op like having the faith coming back from america having done styling having the faith to start a business because it's been a very up and down journey but i never get bored every day is different so i would say that who inspires you who inspires me oh gosh i think my parents inspire me because you know, my father is 87, my mother is 80. And as kids, and even now, they've, they just, they're so giving, and they're so inspiring, and they're so encouraging. And even when things have been really bad, they're so full of positivity, that they're kind of my go, like, they are just such a grounding place for me. And they always encourage any of us kids, there's three of us, that we can kind of reach for the stars. So my parents are a big inspiration. That's awesome. Um, what are you passionate about? I think I might know the answer interiors. to this. Interiors, <laughs> also food and also gardening, but interiors always. Yeah, because um, you, you started to sort of share like cooking meals and, and like, your, like you say, your gardening club. I mean, were they things that you were always passionate about but didn't share about previously or has that kind of evolved over the years? No, totally. Cooking, always been obsessed with cooking. Um, garden, yes, probably within the last ever since we had a glass wall at the back of the house and the garden became such a feature and also how garden makes me feel you know when you walk into your garden and how it just kind of grounds you so they are really integral to i mean they are my relaxation things gardening on the weekend cooking 
on a weekend, really quick cooking in the week. But, you know, I love both of them. Love it. Yeah. What dream do you still want to fulfill? Gosh, I mean, I have a thousand dreams. So I want to open stores in America. And I mean, Graham thinks that's mad because, you know, logistically, uh, I want to live in Australia, open stores in America. And so, I mean, it's not even possible because I can't be over the other side of the world, but you know, dreams are dreams, right? Um, and then what is my other dream? Oh yeah, so then I need my new house, my lateral living new house in the forest near a coffee shop. They're my <laughs> dreams. Great. What are you reading at the moment? Um, I Gosh, I'm not reading anything at the moment. I've got, I wish I could remember. Oh yes, because I'm about to go on a long haul flight and I hate flying. Um, I'm reading, I've just got this new book called A Fortune Teller Told Me, Far Eastern Travels. So I'm quite getting into the whole mm -hmm. Eastern travel thing. I don't read enough. I used to really relax by reading and now I'm so exhausted at the end of the day. I don't read enough. But um, that's on my, I can't remember who the author is, but it's called A Fortune Teller Told Me. Okay, interesting. And what about, um, what are you listening to? Do you like listening to podcasts? I listen to quite a lot of podcasts because I, I, unfortunately, I have the kind of brain that won't sleep unless I'm listening to kind of podcasts. So I have a ton. I have Foodie Ones, which is The Splendid Table and Cherry Bomb and The Food Programme. And then I have Gardener's Question Time, which I absolutely love because it's been going for like 100 years. And I love all the questions about gardening, even though I don't know half the things they're talking about. Um, I listen to yours. I listen to Goop and I listen to a business of fashion. Ah, a fashion. It's called a business of fashion. It's a really cool right, podcast. Okay. And so for me, it gives me lots of kind of retail insights. It's also uh, a blog and a magazine. And uh, yeah, it's very cool. Oh, I haven't heard that one. I'll have to check it out. Um, and what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Um, that really comes down to confidence. I had no confidence in the early days. I would always second guess myself and talk myself out of doing something because I was scared of failure. And now I'm not scared of failure. Like if I if something fails, yes, of course, it's not great. But I've learned from so many failures. So I would say to embrace failure and not be scared of fear. Fear is a good thing. Mm, yeah, definitely. I also want to ask you um, about your books because, you know, you've done a few now, I think three, is that right? Uh, four with the fifth one coming out in November. Okay. So what what is it about books that you enjoy doing? I mean, obviously, you know, you worked, you know, as a picture editor and sort of within publishing. Is that what sort of what the foundation of sort of wanting to create a book was, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but I love the concept of doing a book. And then when I'm in the book, I'm like, why am I doing the book? <laughs> I love the concept yep. of doing a book. Every time I'm in the book, I'm moaning about doing the book. But uh, for me, it's telling a story. It's how it comes together. It's either shooting locations, finding the images, writing it. I mean, I find writing relatively easy and conceptualizing books relatively easy. But, you know, the thing about books that I love, the same as magazines, is that they're there forever and they inspire you. It's not just like reading something on the Internet. It's like it's that paper between your hands and it's getting people excited and engaged about something that I'm talking about. So, I, I mean, I love books I just when I'm actually in the book writing it shooting it trying to find images for it that's when I'm not loving the book but when I come through the other side I'm loving the book so now it's all done and I'm loving the book again but you know when you're in it with deadlines and locations let you down and it's COVID and there's just lots of behind the scenes stress then it gets a bit dicey yeah so what's your next one about it's called a masterclass so basically i used to run masterclasses in my house took them to australia and america actually and uh since covid haven't done it haven't done it haven't done it and um now it's it's kind of taking all that knowledge so it's like having an interior designer in your back pocket really drilling into the little things that you wouldn't necessarily think about whether that's kind of bulbs you have in a room, how many lights you should have in a room, all the kind of things that kind of take interiors to a whole other level. So it's called literally a masterclass. Hmm. Awesome.
look forward to it. Do you know when it's due yeah, to be it's out? published um, over here on November twenty fourth, and in your side of the world, Australia, New Zealand, and America, I think it's March twenty third, twenty twenty three. Okay, excellent. Look forward to it. Well, thank you so much. It has been such a treat to to talk to you, and um, yeah, I I love your honesty and sharing your story and it's yeah you're always such an inspiration for just how you are just so you (laughs) you know and I think in I I think you know in a world where everyone sometimes it feels like everyone's trying to be like other people and just trying to fit in or you know blend and I always admire people who kind of put their head up above the parapet and go no I'm me you know (laughs) and I just accept it you know wholeheartedly and um Yeah, and I I love everything that you create. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint.